Now, our next speaker, Leslie, I'm going to invite up to stage, make a fair welcome as she comes up, is, is going to help us navigate the difficult waters of being a parent in a very complex world. Now, Margie, our first speaker, who had a difficult task, are you glad that wasn't you? I've dodged a bullet. <laughs> I'm glad but, that was her, not me. <laughs> Margie did mention several times, even in the difficult task of educating our kids about sex, there can be a bit of a gap where there's a need for values, how you decide what is important and what's not important. And Margie's going to help us with that today. I mean, Leslie. Leslie, you're Leslie, that's Margie. That's Margie. Leslie. Leslie is going to help us with that today. But first, let's get to know you a bit. Mm. Are you a coastie, born and bred? I'm a blow-in. I know I'm not a coastie. I came up about eight years ago. But oh, so glad I did. When do you stop being a blow-in and start I being part of the I don't know. Does anybody know? You've got 10 to... years, 12 maybe? Okay. <laughs> What's a favourite part of the coast for you or a favourite pastime or a secret spot that won't be secret? No, no it's not very secret. It's the first seat when you go down to the Haven past the Cove Cafe that sort of just overlooks the water. It is just gorgeous. I'll often take my lunch down there and just okay. sit there. So that's Leslie's seat. That's Don't right. Keep it. away. Yeah. Don't go anywhere near it. If you see me coming, get off it. Okay. <laughs> You've been warned. That's right. <laughs> okay. You're, you're presenting on this topic. Mm -hmm. um, you too have been a parent, still are a parent. Come yes, out the other yes, side. Tell us right. a bit about that. Yes, I have had four children and I'm still sane. Yep, it is possible. Right. Um, I've got four children. They're all grown now and have their own children, have ten grandchildren. And I totally agree with Maggie. I would never broach the subject of sex with my grandchildren. Um, so, yeah, that's... Well, take it I've away, got. Leslie. We Thank look forward you. to hearing you. Thanks, Amber. So being a mum or dad is difficult, isn't it? Uh, you know, there are all those expectations on us to have well-disciplined, polite kids and all of those sort of things. And, but then there are those anxieties that nag at us. Will my kids be sucked in by peer pressure? Will they, will they hang out with the wrong group of kids? Will, will they experiment with drugs? Will my son get his girlfriend pregnant? It's a complex world. It's a crazy, mixed-up world. And I take it that's why you're here today. You're anxious about your kids, you're concerned about your kids, and you take your responsibility about parenting seriously. So let's think about this topic of values for our kids. So that we're all on the same page with what we're talking about, I'm going to use, I'm going to describe values as... Those things we think are important and we regulate our behaviour by them. Now, it's helpful to be, to be a reminder that everyone has a set of values. If we don't get them from our parents, if your kids don't get them from you, we will actually pick them up from somewhere else. For our kids, it's usually their peers at school or increasingly from social media. So what are some sets of values that we see operating around the place? Let me give you one from ancient history. A place called Sparta in ancient Greece back in the 5th century BC, that society had a value of the survival of the fittest, the value of physical stamina. 
That value led to the behaviour of putting sick newborn babies out on a hillside to die. They would just leave them out there. That was their value and that was their behaviour. Last week, I read this in the paper. Islamic State theologians have issued an extremely detailed ruling on when owners of women enslaved by the extremist group can have sex with them in an apparent bid to curb what they call violations in the treatment of captured females. So yes, even ISIS have a set of values and they're trying to regulate behaviour by them. Peter Singer is an Australian philosopher at a university in uh, the USA, has a value that says happiness and the well-being of whole adults is important. And that leads him to advocate that severely disabled babies or adults may be euthanised if their continued life poses a problem for their parents or their carers. Values, behaviour that flows out of them. One more, the issue of some all-male groups like football teams or the military forces, the value of the importance of team bonding, the loyalty to your mates or, and the low value placed on women, where does that lead those groups of men? You know where. I read just a couple of months ago of a very prestigious school in the United States where there has been an unofficial competition each year among the final year males as to who could have sex with the most female students from the junior years. They kept a tally on a secret website and it only came to light when one of the boys who, and I've just lost my place, one of the boys who um, really wanted to win the competition actually coerced a girl into having sex with her and she reported him. And it was because he wanted to win the competition. And uh, so there was a clear value leading to obviously dysfunctional behaviour amongst that group of young men. Well, what's this got to do with our children? Your children, over the age of 18 months, because that's when we begin to see intentional behaviour, will already have started to form values. Um, one of my, uh, admittedly, they're still flexible, uh, but it's the beginning of their value system. Some young children will place such a high value on a particular toy that they would rather see a sibling cry than share it. Uh, A friend of mine has a little boy who is four and at preschool. She describes him as a follower. He places a very high value on his peers and doing and saying what they do, rather than making up his own mind about behaviour. So therefore, the question I think we're really asking is, how do I raise kids with good values? And so I want to ask you, what sort of values do you mean? When I've asked that question, the most likely answers I get are things like, I want my kids to be kind. I want them to be generous. I want them to care for others. I want them to be tolerant. They are some great good values for your kids. So let's think about some practical suggestion uh, about uh, how we might foster those in our kids. 
by far the most important influence, the most significant influence on the formation of values in a child is his or her parents. A child observes and copies what parents do, uh, values what parents value, believe what parents believe. Now, obviously, other values come in or other influences come in as the child grows, most notably peers. But the years before a child goes to school, the first five years are crucial. The values of how I spend my money, how I speak about other people, especially those I disagree with, what my attitude is to those who don't have as much as I do, if I can easily say sorry or not, do I borrow from a neighbour and don't return it? What do I do with a wallet in the, that I find in the street? Do I keep it or do I hand it in? Your child is watching, taking notice and forming values. And you cannot expect a child to develop a value that you contradict in your own life. The quality of your own life is of the greatest importance to your child's value forma formation. In a word, we need to practice what we preach. Now, the second suggestion I've got is that this is going to take time. One of the great myths about modern child rearing is that quality time is more important than quantity time. Try telling that to a boss at work. I'm only going to come in, you know, four hours a day, three days a week, but it'll be quality time. We'd be laughed out of the business. See, imparting good and important values to our kids cannot be done on the run. It takes lots of talk to explain to kids why you do certain things and why you want them to act in certain ways. And those opportunities can't be programmed into a timetable day or a part of the week. They arise when issues arise. Let's give an example. Say your five-year-old finds a wallet uh, with a considerable amount of money in it um, just outside the front gate. It's got no name in it. So what will we do? And how will we explain what we're going to do? You need to involve the child in the process. Ask him, how would you feel if you lost something valuable? Does the money belong to you? What if the owner needs that money for something really important? What if he has children like you who are depending on that money for something they need? It's quicker and probably, you know, to just matter, oh, we'll take it to the police station or finders keepers, losers weepers. But our children will not have had the opportunity to think through values without those conversations. So what we want our kids to do and be will be taken on board much more if we explain the why. And that takes time. So why not make mealtimes especially devoted to conversation and family communication? Learn to ask questions of each other that are going to provide opportunities for value formation. You know the usual question you ask your kids, how was your day? What happened at school today? Um, what's the answer you often get? Okay, nothing. And you know, that's about as much communication you get out of a kid. 
So why don't you try this? And we, did, we used to do this for everybody at the table, which meant that if we had somebody over for dinner, a guest, they'd have to answer this question too. We'd say, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And what was the worst thing? So you ask both of those questions and just see what comes up. Ah, so maybe one kid says, I had to pick up papers at lunchtime because I was talking in class. I hate my teacher. So then you might have a discussion about, you know, if you were doing the wrong thing, then accepting discipline if it's deserved is a good thing. One of the greatest uh, values formed in this environment, I think, is family affection. Learning to love each other and celebrate each other's successes and ache for the disappointments of each other. And you as parents get to regulate and make comments about values. So, for example, a comment from one of your kids that says, oh, the best thing that happened to me today was I got 80% in my maths test and I, I, it was just so great. Now, this is from a child who often struggles with maths and you, that might draw from you, that's great, fantastic. All that revision you did last night paid off. Let's see if we can do it again next week. See what a good thing that would be. Whereas if one of their brothers or sisters says... So what? I got 80%. Um, so what? I got, uh, I got 90% in my maths test today. Yeah, you're such a loser. You know, that might draw from you a response like, in this family, we don't care who's better than anybody else. We just want everyone to do their best. And bragging's not pretty either. So you see that those conversations can develop lots of good values around the table. Now, be realistic. Mealtimes with young kids will often be like feeding time at the zoo and things will just dissolve in tears and you wonder whether it's worth it. But hang in there. Start early and it will get better. You know, it may only be teaching simple things like not talking with their mouths full or not interrupting or being polite and saying, please, can somebody pass me the tomato sauce rather than jumping up on the table and grabbing it out of their brother's hand. Those sort of things can be done at the meal table. Probably, I think, the most important and treasured value that we want our kids is a health, in our kids is a healthy respect for legitimate authority. Children need to know that they are not in charge. They all think they are. <laughs> um, that the family and the world does not revolve around them. You know, so often I see children who, uh, by their behaviour, their poor behaviour, their defiance, their insolence, they hold their parents to ransom. I was talking to a woman recently and um, she was asking me her advice about... Um, how to stop her child being late to school and her for work because he would be late, she had to take him to school and then she'd go to work and she was just being late every day. So I asked her what her morning routine was and she said, well, we get up and my son immediately turns on the TV and then I hound him the rest of the morning to get his shoes on, have his breakfast, clean his teeth, get ready for school and I just hound him all the time. So I said to her, what would happen if you said... No TV until you've done all of your tasks and then you can watch TV at the end. She said, I tried that and I said, what happened? She said, he just went and turned it on anyway. I said, pull the plug out. She said, he went and pulled it, pushed, pushed it back in. That child is holding that woman to ransom and she needs to establish her authority in that household. 
She needs to get uh, control there. Um, you see, children will grow up thinking that if they are defiant or argue long enough, that they will get their own way all the time. And that'll spill over into attitudes towards others in authority like school teachers or police. Another value that we can foster young is that of delayed gratification. Helping a child to see that they won't get something immediately they want it is enormously beneficial. So when somebody comes in and says, I'm hungry, and you know that dinner's going to be ready very soon, to say dinner will be ready in half an hour, wait, that's important. Get them to do that because 10 years later when they say, I want an iPhone 6, then you can say, well, save up for it. You get pocket money, save up for it. Don't give, our kids, don't give your kids immediately what they want when they ask. So there are a few practical suggestions about working on your values as a family. But that brings us to the big problem with values. And that's because I often hear people talk about my values and your values. Values that are personal to the individual. And when we put values and morality and right and wrong in the hands of the individual, then we're in big trouble. Because in the end, when two people with different values clash, who's to say who's got the better value? Who's right? You know, the morality that sprang from the ancient Spartan values that said it was okay to abandon sick and injured people on the mountain in winter, you and I want to scream out, that's wrong. But why? It's, it's their value. Why can't they have it? Well, what about the, about the value of the abusive husband who says, I'm entitled as a man to use this woman to satisfy my desires any way I want? And we want to scream out, no. Why? You might say, our society through its legal system says it's wrong. But what if the legal system was different? Would it still be wrong? Back in uh, uh, the, the 19th century, there was a woman by the name of Charlotte Elizabeth McNeely. She attempted to gain a divorce from her husband of 26 years. She recounted in detail the violence her husband had committed. He had threatened to murder her, he chased her with a meat fork, he'd left her body bruised, black by kicks, he nearly choked her, he pushed a stick down her child's throat, the child later died. She had evidence of her, evidence of her husband's adultery. She had tried to earn her own living apart from him, but he'd confiscated her earnings, which under law he was entitled to do. Her petition for divorce was unsuccessful. The judge was unconvinced that she'd established her case and it was dismissed with costs against her. That was the law. So basing our values on what society says or what the legal system says won't really work either. And basing our values on what is good for us won't work. Values really don't work without an absolute standard of morality against which to measure them. It doesn't help to cherry-pick our values a bit from here, a bit from there. It won't take long for our kids to work out the inconsistency in our values. So how do we find a value system that makes sense, that's consistent, and that you're confident to pass on? Well, for my husband Jim and I, as parents, we found that 
looking to the values of Jesus, was, they were so coherent and they made gut such good sense of life. You know, particularly when we look at ourselves and our kids, we can't help but notice that, you know, we're pretty broken people who live in a broken world. We don't. Uh, we actually can't do the right thing by other people all the time. You know, and Jesus addresses that quite powerfully. When Jesus says that all the wrong, the evil, the bad that happens in the world comes from the human heart, he's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about our kids. You know, one of the values we, we tend to want from our, uh, from our kids was unselfishness wanting our kids to be unselfish and to be other person-centred rather than selfish was really only going to work when we pointed them to Jesus who could change their hearts and ours. The Bible says that Jesus came to serve people and ultimately do the most unselfish thing that could ever be to give his life for the sake of other people. We wanted to show our kids what forgiveness looked like, both giving it and asking for it when we'd we'd stuffed up because we'd seen forgiveness in Jesus. See, our values for our kids grew out of what we knew about Jesus. The most unselfish, most kind, most caring, most generous person we could know. He treated other people with grace knowing that they could stuff up life. And we wanted our kids to be like that too, to be gracious to others who made mistakes like them, being willing to forgive when they were hurt. But he wasn't just a moral code to live by, he was a person to get to know, a person who had standards. Why was Jesus like that? Why was he worth investigating and listening to? Because ultimately he came from God, the one who made us who worked out the parameters of how to live life best and recorded those parameters in the Bible. He showed us the best way to live life in this world. It's his world. He set the standards of right and wrong. This is a complex world, isn't it? It's mixed up because we humans think we can do a better job of running the world and our lives and determining our own values and standards. You only need to look around to know that we've messed up big time. So the final question to the answer, sorry, the final answer to the question that our kids often asked, who says that's wrong and who says that's right? The really only answer is God. And we will serve our kids well by pointing them to something beyond themselves, much bigger and more powerful than them, bigger and powerful than you. So you can send them to Sunday school or scripture or churn or EV kids, but much more crucial will be you investigating God and looking at the Bible for yourself and then talking with your kids. You may be able to give them a reasonable answer when they say, Mum, Dad, why shouldn't I steal? But what will you say when they ask, Mum, Dad, what will happen to you when you die? What will happen to me when I die? How do you answer that question? Getting to know God and his son Jesus, the most impressive man you will ever get to know, will give you the answers. Let me finish by asking this last question. 
Many of the values we want to see in our children relate to that attitudes we have for other people, kindness, tolerance, politeness, respect. But again, the question comes, why? Why should we teach our kids to tolerate other people's points of view? Why shouldn't Peter Singer be allowed to euthanise sick children or elderly parents? Why shouldn't ISIS take female captives as sex slaves? We want to say because they are people and they have value. But where does that value come from? Uh, my daughter, when she was very young, had a cherished pink teddy bear. And often when I was cleaning up the, the lounge room and I'd find it on the floor, I'd toss it into the toy basket and she'd go, Mom, be very careful with Teddy. She'd often say that to me. And I'd look at this patched, patched up bear with a torn arm and it was stitched back on and stains that washing couldn't remove and it had an eye missing. There was absolutely no material value there at all. To us, as parents, it was valueless but not to its owner, not to our daughter. To her, it was valuable and precious. And the more tattered it became, the more love and care she gave it. Mummy, please be careful how you hold her. So I held that teddy, not based on my perception of its value, but on the value assigned by the owner, by Katrina. Now you and your children are like my daughter's teddy bear. You have an owner. God. And to him you are absolutely precious. You are so precious that his one and only son left the splendor of heaven to come to earth to die for you. I should not base my conduct towards you on how valuable you are to me, nor on any intrinsic value found in you as a human, but I want to base my conduct towards you on how valuable you are to God and how loved you are by God. That's the big, real basis for, val for values to pass on to our kids. That's it. Thanks. Thank you, Leslie. Are you up for some questions? Sure. Okay, usual drill, folks. If you've got a question, pop your hand up and the mic will make its way to you. Very helpful to help us navigate a really difficult area, which is teaching our kids values and to realise that uh, it can be tricky for us to realise where our values come from yeah. as well. Yep. Yep. So are there any questions? Maybe that you're still processing at all. There's one just here. Hi. Um, Hi. I have a two, a... Uh, sorry, a three, a four and a six-year-old. And um, so there are often clashes between them. And the six, my six-year-old is often saying, it's not fair. And I have a real problem with that. And I'm not sure how to articulate to him uh, how, to, how to have a conversation with him about fairness. Sure, sure. That is a, it's the one we hear about hugely, isn't it? It's not fair. And I, it's really interesting that... Um, justice is big for God as well and so fairness is, is, is one of the things I think that we get because, we're, because we are creatures of God. So how do you, how do you manage that? Um, so it's, it's helping them to see that they are an individual and that their brothers and sisters are individuals as well and that the, the individuals need to live together as a, 
as a group, as a community. So, and, and it's trying to help them see that they, trying to help them see things from their brother's or sister's point of view, isn't it? Um, because he's the eldest, um, at six, he should be getting to that stage where you can start to have those conversations. And this is the thing that I mean about taking time. So one of the things I would do is that I would take him out for a date, you know. Um, so let's go, you know, leave the other two with somebody else and say, let's go out and have a milkshake together, just you and I. This is our time. And for, to then just to talk about what does he find difficult about living in the family? What does he find great about our family? So do the positive too. And say, what are your things that you find tough about living in our family? And then maybe try to help him to see that the other two have to live as well in this family. And he, that might actually, just that one-on-one -on -one time, might actually help him to see that... Um, yeah, that, that there are other points of view that need to come into play when you're making decisions about, about what has to happen. I, I just think having that one-on-one -on -one time will be very helpful to help him think through those things. Good question. Another one over here. Um, hi, Leslie. I was uh, listening to what you're saying about how many opportunities come up for teaching values just along the way and all kinds of things, but I just know... Sometimes my kids would roll their eyes a bit when they'd hear me start on the next value conversation. I'm wondering if you've got thoughts about how to not yeah. come across like you're... Sure. How always, to stop the eyes always, rolling. Yeah, the lecturing <laughs> that you're... Oh, here she goes yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think one of the things is, is, is to not lecture, but to ask questions. So, um, so when I talked about finding the wallet in the street, what I did was just ask lots of questions. I wonder where that came from. I wonder who owns it. I wonder where, you know, who, what the man needed the money for. I wonder, you know, so those, asking questions rather than lecturing, I think, um, is probably the better way to go. Um, and it's also helping those things come up naturally. So one of the things that, um, so trying to do the positive values rather than when you see them doing something wrong, that that's when I jump in with the values discussion. But when you see them doing something really great, talking about the value then so they're not likely to roll their eyes. So when you see them being kind or tolerant or being generous, to say, that is a fantastic thing that you do. Um, you know, tell me about it. Tell me what you were feeling when you did that. And let, you know, let me say that was such a great thing to do. Um, when, so one of the things we'd often do when we'd you know, do, have something fantastic given to us um, or that we'd find something fantastic, uh, like a, you know, a beautiful punnet of strawberries, we have, we'd be talk about how good is God to give us beautiful strawberries? What do you love about strawberries? So those sort of things, with young, you do that with younger children, not with teenagers. But... Uh, <laughs> um, but if you can help with the questioning rather than lecturing, I think will be the thing that will hopefully stop the, the, the eye rolling and catching them doing the great things and commenting on that then. Yeah, great. Thank you. Can we thank Leslie for presenting to us this morning? Thanks. Thank you, Leslie.